KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. You and your family want to do something for free? The Center for Spiritual Living is back, open to the public. Friday, August 13th from 5 to 8 p.m. at the Center for Spiritual Living in San Bernardino. Listen to live entertainment with New Orleans Dixieland Band and come see the beautiful antique car show. Enjoy some food, fun, music, and more. Google Center for Spiritual Living in San Bernardino for more detail. Hope to see you there. Smitty's Diesel Repair in Colton salutes healthcare providers, first responders, and essential workers serving on the front lines of COVID-19. It's with humility we thank you for showing up daily in the face of fear and fighting for the health of our loved ones, risking your lives, and for continuing to stay in the fight. That's Smitty's Diesel Repair, where they say service isn't just courtesy, it's a commitment. For more information, call 909-356-4000. That's 356-4000. Smitty's Diesel Repair, 3730 South Riverside Avenue in Colton. On air shouting, God bless America and hoorah! It's okay if you're wondering how the COVID-19 vaccine got here so fast. It was record time after all. And when you're ready, here's your answer. No steps were skipped. No shortcuts were taken. Years of research and determination paid off. Let's get you there. Let's get to immunity. Learn more at vaccinateall58.com or call 833 422 4255. Brought to you by the California Department of Public Health. Come to Hooters where there's no such thing as a party of one. Located with a 60 and the 215 meet in Riverside near Merino Valley. For more info, Google Hooters Riverside. There's only one thing you think of when you think of Hooters. Wings. Wait, what? With more styles, better flavors, and fresher wings, you could only be in the original American wing joint. Get them smoked, bacon-wrapped, original style, and now introducing new Roasted Wings. Roasted crispy to seal in the flavor and seal out half the calories. One taste and you'll think of nothing else. We'll see about that. Come to Hooters where there's no such thing as a party of one. Located with a 60 and the 215 meet in Riverside near Merino Valley. For more info, Google Hooters Riverside. There's only one thing you think of when you think of Hooters. Hooters, the original American wing joint. If you're looking for a full or part-time sales position and you have radio, TV, or print media experience, KCAA has a great opportunity waiting for you that pays the highest commissions in the market. KCAA is the only station in the IE that broadcasts on three frequencies, so advertisers receive three ads for one low rate. This makes KCAA a must-buy for every local business. If you're interested in a sales position with us, email CEO at KCAARadio.com. Attention Medicare recipients and anyone turning 65. Medicare has approved new benefits not included with original Medicare and older Medicare Advantage plans. You may not be getting all of the benefits you're entitled to, including in-home aids, telephone appointments with your doctors, home-delivered meals and prescriptions. These benefits may be available and it's a free call to enroll. The new plans may also offer free eyeglasses, free hearing aids, free wellness visits, and gym memberships. Call the Medicare Benefits line now. It's easy. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. Find out if you're eligible for new benefits like meal and prescription delivery, in-home aids, and telemedicine. Some plans may have a $0 monthly premium or zero copays for big out-of-pocket savings. 
Not all Medicare Advantage plans are alike. The new plans have more benefits for many people. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. The Hebo Tea Club's original Pure Pau de Arco Tehibo Tea helps build the red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop. And cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit TahiboTeaClub.com. Tahibo is spelled T like Tom, A-H-E-E-B like boy, O, then continue with the word T, and then the word club. The complete website is TahiboTeaClub.com. Or call us at 818-610-8088, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. That's 818-610-8088. This is KCAA. Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and the business world. On today's show, Scott visits with Alan Pogue. Alan and his wife, Suzanne De Laurentiis, are owners of Imagine a Horse. Together, they have brought enlightened trick horse training to folks all around the globe. Now, here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knudsen. Thank you for joining us, whether you're on the NBC affiliate KCAA Radio in California or watching our podcast on one of the many platforms. I want to welcome you and thank you. I know you're going to love this show, especially if you love horses. Today, we have Master Trick Horse Trainer, Alan Pogon. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Scott, for having me here. Such a great, such a great honor. And, and, and you're coming straight to us from Pie Town, New Mexico. Beautiful Pie Town, New Mexico. Beautiful Pie Town, New Mexico. Hey, thank you so much. So we met about a year and a half ago in, in L.A. at an event. And you were working on a secret project out there. And you had some horses out in California. It, are you able to talk about it now? Well, now that it's all said and done, yes. Awesome, it awesome. Was, it, was a, it was an international advertising campaign for the Gucci company. Oh, my goodness. Now, how does Gucci and horses link together? Well, the reality is uh, Gucci started out with he was a saddle maker, just like <laughs> that other just, just like that other famous Italian uh, clothing designer, Hermes. Looks like Hermes, but Hermes, they were saddle makers at one time, and they transitioned from the leather saddles into doing like ladies' purses and stuff like that. But they, this was a retro commercial, something that they did back in the 70s. And uh, people can look it up online if you just, they, when I say retro, they hearkened back to the old Mr. Ed TV series. So if you'd go, if you'd Google Gucci, of course, a horse. If you remember, that was a Mr. Ed theme song. It was. Now, a horse is a horse, of course, of course. But you can, they can find a little video, find little articles about that, uh, about that uh, whole enterprise. And I, I kid you not, it was, it was like working on a major motion picture uh, oh. with the amount of uh, people that they had. And uh, 
you know, because it's in California and it was a union job, they probably had anywhere from 75 to 100 people on the set in every aspect of lighting and set set decoration. And, uh, I mean, you name it, makeup. They had tra- trailers full of makeup artists for all of the Gucci models, you know. Anyway. Oh, oh my goodness. Very, very, very interesting project. I bet it was incredible. So did you take your own horses out there or did you go out and work with other other horses that were ready or are out there for you? Well, actually, they sent a, tra- a driver and truck and trader to come and pick me up and, and haul me out there. They wanted me there because um, I had horses that would uh, the director knew that I had horses that would sit down and lay down, sit down on beanbags and lay down in unusual situations, right? And, and boy, did they present us with some unusual situations, you know, like in an airplane, airplane set in the penthouse suite at the Chateau Marmont on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, we, had, we, had, we had one set that was not more than 200 feet from, uh, I think it's called the Golden State Freeway, which is 12 lanes of nonstop traffic, uh, uh, extremely difficult working conditions because because of the noise right but we we're, you know we it was an outdoor set with a bunch of 1970 era fancy cars you know like mercedes benz and rolls royces and stuff and then they had a restaurant in front of it and the horse the horse's job would just sit down at an outdoor table and eat off the eat off the table along with a couple of gucci models right <laughs> oh my goodness so so when you get the call hey I, we need you in california to do a gucci commercial and it's a big project. How long does it take you to kind of vamp up and get your horses ready and get them out there? Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. And that was, I had two adult horses that were uh, fully, fully trained like this. And Sue had a couple of miniature horses that she had worked with a little bit, uh, getting them to sit down on a beanbag, but they weren't, they were only three years old and they were not seasoned performers. And so I fudged a little bit when my director called me. He said, look, I know you've got big horses that sit down, but do you have any miniature horses that will do it? So I fudged and I said, oh, well, yeah, sure. Not knowing this was on a Thursday, okay? Not knowing that he was going to uh, come and get me the next Monday. And he said, okay, I'll I'll, I'll come get you on Monday. I said, I I don't have a trailer that I can haul to California. He said, that's okay, I'll come and get you. And I'm thinking, holy cow, now what am I going to do, right? So I had I had three days to teach them to sit down on cue and and stay sitting. That's the important thing, and to lay down and stay laying down. So I had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know, to practice. So that's plenty of time. Master uh, trick trainer. Once we got, yeah, but then once we got out there, that's when when the real fun began. Uh, we had a uh, an audition day where he brought in about 12 or 15 local horse trainers. Uh, now, we're just north of uh, L.A., a little town called um, Agua Dulce. And uh, uh, this guy, that I, my director, he had 125 horses and animals and goats and oxen, buffalo on his property because he supplies horses for the uh, animals for the movie industry. And he invited all of these other trainer friends that he knew to audition with their horses. And he uh, introduced me as 
the best trick horse trainer in the United States or something like that, which didn't really go too well with those other guys. You know, because I'm, <laughs> if you know the movie, you know the movie business is very clickish and it's very hard to break in. So here's a guy that they've never heard of, and I get brought in to, on their turf, and I'm, 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 my director said that I was a, the best there was. Well, that's kind of hypothetical. But what, what, where, he, where he was going with that was with any, if any of those guys needed some help on some of their stuff, that I, that I was there to help them. Okay. And uh, actually, that, that's what I did for the first two weeks. Is we, it's called uh, prep. We prepped about 15 horses for different aspects of this entire job. You know, like I teach in a horse to get into a swimming pool and swim around. Not easy to do. You know, horses no. don't step down in, into swimming pools. No. And uh, we had a beach, a beach scene that we had to get two horses to lay down, a big black horse and then my little black miniature horse to lay down next to each other side by side, kind of like a mother and a foal thing. We were going we were gonna use the, the miniature as a stand-in for a foal, okay? Uh, so we practice a lot with them uh, lay, laying down side by side and getting them real close together, getting them real used to being close together. And then, you know, the trainer's got to get out of the scene. You, you get the horses on their mark, you get them in position, and then you you have to get away from them. And that's that's really the hard part in the, in the movie or this kind of business is being able to have a horse that's reliable from a distance, you know, and will stay will stay calm. And then we uh, we practice. We probably had five different horses that we practiced that laydown scene with. Uh, another thing we did was we had to teach three different horses: a white one a brown one and a black one, the miniature horses, to sit down in the back of a convertible and, and drive around town, right? And the car that they sent was a, a hot rod, a Chevy hot rod convertible that had real loud mufflers. And, of course, when the mufflers are loud, horse. which, you know, horses don't like stuff like that. No. Uh, no. But we had, we had to prep all three horses because Gucci people, they couldn't decide which color they wanted. And we didn't we didn't know until actually we got on the set were they going to take the black one the brown one or the white one, and so we had to prep all three of them. So uh, stuff like that is rather challenging to get horses in, um, you know, in a calm in an unusual situation. Sit, it, sitting in the back of the car driving around. Now, uh, the way Hollywood works is a lot of the time, a lot of the scenes we shot, the car was actually on a trailer a real low trailer and they towed the trailer, they towed the trailer around and they had cameras mounted on the trailer so they could get pictures of the, of the horse from different angles. Um, but there, but there is a scene and people find that little Gucci video. There's pictures of the scene of, of, a, of a, of a convertible driving down sunset Boulevard, pulling into the Chateau Marmont, uh, with, with a little horse sitting in the back. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very cool. Yeah, and you, you had three days. That's plenty of time for you. That's why you're oh, a master. Yeah, yeah, problem at all. Sure. <laughs> you just roll <laughs> in and you just nail the scene, man. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, we had I had three days to prep my horses here, the minis, to, to sit down and lay down on beanbags. And then uh, once we got out there, we had two weeks to prep. This was the uh, last two weeks of October and the first week of November in 2019. And we're real lucky because we got, we got in just underneath that 
COVID window. That's right. So how did you get interested in trick training, trick horse training? Uh, Well, honestly, growing up watching Roy Rogers and Gene Autry on on, uh, TV on Saturday mornings. Right. uh, This was back in the early 60s. And uh, uh, that that was – see, I'm 71. I'm the last generation of kids that grew up with that as as your TV heroes, right? right. And, and there will never it will never be like that again. But I had friends that had horses, and so we'd watch the TV shows, and we'd go out on the horses and try and do the leapfrog jumps on their back and the quick getaways, you know, like jumping sure. up on a horse from the side, doing what they call doing the queen's mount, right? Right. And uh, you know, luckily, luckily nobody nobody ever got hurt. But that that just sat in the back of my mind. That's a, this is when I'm, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, something like that. But that just kind of sat in the back of my mind, percolating, because at one point I got uh, got I got a motorcycle. First, I had a mini bike and a motorcycle. And then, uh, you know, I, I strayed away from the horses. And it wasn't until I was about 30 years old, living in Austin, Texas, on Onion Creek, and... Uh, I had remodeled a little one-room cabin into a three-room cottage, and it was nicer than where I was living. And I asked the guy that I remodeled it for if I could rent it from him. And he said, well, yeah, sure. And then he said, well, I got a couple of horses. Would you, uh, uh, if you'll take care of the horses, I'll knock something off your rent. Okay, fine. Well, he sent the horses out to be bred, so the next year we got mares and babies. And it, that this went on for 10 years, and over a 10-year period I raised – 22 horses there on the place. And uh, it was like being thrown into a swimming pool in the deep end and said, swim. Right? <laughs> I, I learned I learned by the process of immersion, yeah. just being thrust, thrust into the situation. And uh, this was before the internet. And I made friends with several out of print book dealers across the country. And I would ask them for readers copies of classic works of equitation. And every time I'd get a book, the first thing I'd do is go to the bibliography and see, well, who do these people, you know, who do they reference? And I'd go through the bibliography and get another book, another book, another book. And uh, I saw a book. The title was Training the Hot Ecole. That's, high, that's French for the high school. I thought it was about dressage training, high school training. Well, so I bought it. And when I got it, it was a book about trick training uh, back in the day. The guy who wrote the book was Chuck Grant. He was a great dressage trainer uh, and infinitely qualified to understand the benefit that you get from from trick training horses, regardless of their discipline. Because he had horses that were Grand Prix dressage horses that he could also go out and put on a trick training training exhibition. So uh, that book sat on my shelf for a while. And then I picked it up and started reading it. And I started realizing that that was the guy, if, if you can learn something from anybody, that was the guy that you could learn something from, okay? Because he performed with horses at international level, at the highest levels, but he also trick trained. And he, and he realized it's good for the horse's mind. So that's, that's kind of how I got into it. So you kind of self-taught yourself reading his book. So would you read a chapter, run out in the backyard and work on your horse and try it? Well, I, later on, I developed a little concept I called the six R's of horse training. We all know what the three R's are, but the six R's of horse training 
is read what you're going to ride. Go out and ride what you just read and then come back and read what you just wrote. Okay. And then get up in the morning and do it all over again. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Read what you can ride, ride what you read, read what you wrote. That's awesome. So it, anyone tuning in just now, that's some, that's some great facts right there. Cause you know, you read it, you go out and you try it and you might get frustrated. You might do it and that's it, but you got to go and, and review what you just did. That's the only way you learn. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a, there was a, there's a really good book. I'll, I'll thank the guy's name in just a second, but it was so well written. The guy was a French uh, fighter uh, airplane pilot. He was shot down in world war two and he, uh, Henry Vin Malin was his name. And he wrote, he wrote two books. Uh, one was called Equitation. And the other one is uh, a study of the finer points of writing. And if you go and, and read, read his books, you'll read a sentence and it might only be like eight words. And you think, Oh yeah, I understand that. And then you go out and practice for a while. And, and a few months later, you come back and pick the book up again and you read that same sentence and with the experience that you've had over those months, that sentence, those eight words will have a completely different meaning. Your whole different door will open up and you go, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> you didn't get it the first time. Right. And you, go back a year, you go back a year later and read those same eight words and, and another door will open up. It's like peeling, peeling an onion. And actually, that's the beauty of really good writing. Where uh, writing, you know, with the with the words, is being able to put so much meaning in as few words as possible. Absolutely, so. absolutely, yeah. and it's amazing how those words, just a few words, as you work with your horse, you come back and you really start understanding what he wrote, and, yeah. and, and yeah. it just helps you learn more for sure. Yeah, and appreciate his writing. So, so you were talking a little bit earlier about do, trick training a trick horse, trick riding and have the benefits of other other events so can you tell me give give us a little bit of example say if somebody has a trail horse or a calf roping horse or a barrel horse how, what can they do um to have some fun trick training that's going to benefit them okay so uh let, let's let's start with the trail horse you know okay and a lot of times we when we when we used to appear at these horse expos we would have a trade show booth and these big big events you know 20, 30,000 people or more would show up to them. And so we would often have to entertain the same question over and over again. I mean, hundreds of times, like over a weekend. And we always ask, would ask the people, what does your horse do? What, what do you do with your horse? And some people would look, get kind of sheepish and they'd look down at the ground and they'd say, oh, he's just a trail horse. We'd always have to remind them that the trail horse has got the most important job on the planet, much more important than that hunter jumper that's going to be in a ring, much more important than that reigning that reigning horse that's going to be spattered inside a ring. Uh, that a trail horse has got to, he's going to take you places that you would never go otherwise Absolutely. and get you home safely. Okay. Absolutely. So that, that's the point I'm going to try to make is that's where trick training comes in at home. When you prepare these horses to do unusual things under your guidance and you ask them to step up on a pedestal, it might be a big one. It might be a small one. It might be a really small one. It might be a long, skinny one. we got a trick we call walking the plank. I've got uh, pictures of a, of a 
horse I had, he would, I could ride him on a plank that was five inches wide, 30 inches off the ground. Right. Now you don't want to get much taller than that because if the horse would slip, you don't want him to high center on it. So 30 inches is about the, about the limit. But, uh, many, many times when we've been trail riding, we've been faced with situations where we, uh, had to ask the horses, you know, to, to cross logs, uh, to hop up uh, rocky ledges or step down off rocky ledges. And that's where pedestal training really comes in. Uh, the, uh, the horses learn to uh, accept your guidance. You know, their, their depth perception isn't all that good. And when they're stepping up, is pretty easy. Stepping down can be very tricky for them. Uh, but the, the important aspect of that is of, of, of the broad aspect of trick training is uh, the horses learn how to learn. Right. And, they, and they, they learn that when you ask them to do something, there's usually going to be something in it for them. Okay. Might be a pet. You might stroke them and pet them. It might be a cookie. Uh, it might be just, you're just going to back off and let them relax and chill out and enjoy uh, the, a few moments of no, no pressure at all. You know, just, just standing there on a pedestal or sitting on a beanbag, whatever, or laying down. Right. Right. Uh, We've, we've lost count of the number of times people have contacted us and say that we have, we saved, you, people would say, you saved my horse's life. And I go, I'd reach out to shake their hand and go, have we ever met? And they say, oh, no, no. I bought your DVDs. I taught my horse to lay down. And then they would recount some kind of a crazy situation like horses getting stuck in cattle guards. Uh, getting stuck underneath the trailer, having a trailer, you know, they pull back, their feet slip, the trailer comes on top of them. And now you got a horse on the ground with, in a, with a trailer on them. And because they had taught their horse to be calm in a lay down situation, they were able to either call for help or extricate the horse uh, uh, from, a, from a situation. And the horse didn't panic and, and hurt himself. So it, it's, it's all about building that, you know, the, the people use that word relationship so often that it, it's, it's sort of lost its meaning, kind of, you know, because it's overused. Uh, but 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 it is that is the right word. And it, it's uh, it's that it's that trust where they uh, our horses actually learn the rudiments of spoken language. You know, I can I can talk to them now. Do they actually understand the words? No, probably not. But they they learn to understand your intention. You know, what is it that you want me to do? Right. And trust you and trust your intention. So regardless of the horse's ultimate discipline, you know, Chuck Grant was a good example of that. He had Grand Prix dressage horses that were also trick horses. Did didn't didn't harm their, their dressage performance one bit. All it did was open up their mind. So I love that example. And part of this show is, is educational, some's inspirational, but the educational part as a rider and a trail, I've been riding all my life. But there's always something to learn. And I feel the horse, there's always something to learn for that one chance when they do slide under a trailer. Something negative happens to get them out of that situation. Or they get us out of that situation. That's a great example. Well, we had, we had a friend get a horse, get all four feet caught in a cattle guard. And, and uh, oh she had to call a whip. And, and a horse stood there. For a couple hours, or she had to call a welder in. They had to cut that cattle guard apart, and of oh course, did not. He didn't even have a mark. He didn't even have a mark on him. She so just did that. You know, it, it can't help. It really can't help. Oh my goodness! So, 
I've seen them with one or two, but not four. I, I couldn't imagine. So, um, just another benefit of it. So, so if somebody has a horse and, and, and they're at the house and they have one horse and it's a family, they want to, they want to learn a trick for the backyards. Mm -hmm. And when people come over to eat dinner and they invite a guest and they want to do something, what one trick, uh, would you show them that's something they can learn? And we're going to point them to well, the DVDs later, but. Um, okay. That's, that's, that's actually a good question. Thank you. And uh, we wrote, we wrote a book in 2004. We published a book in 2014. We've worked on it for years. Okay. Trying to get it down. Right. Uh, my wife is a lifelong horse owner. She, she got her first horse when she was three and we met when we were both 50 and uh, she watched what I was doing for about 10 years and you know, she thought it was mildly amusing. It gave us something to talk about. Uh, but she was, she was always involved in, ho in horse shows. And when I met her, she had more red and blue ribbons. I mean, boxes of red and blue ribbons. Because she didn't go to a horse show just to compete. She went to win, right? And she did win a lot. Okay. But she began to see what I was doing. And, she, and, and it took her years to, to figure it out. And actually, two years of writing and editing and stuff like that. Uh, to get it down. And the very first trick that we put in a book was teaching the horse how to smile. Well, now, of course, the horse is not smiling, uh, but he is lifting his upper lip and showing his teeth in a, in a movement that's similar to that thing called the Fleming response, where if a, if a stallion smells a mare or if they smell something unusual, like uh, some I've seen people blow smoke at a horse and he'll smell smoke and, and, and curl his lip up. Right. Uh, and in our, in our DVDs, we got one called shaping behaviors. And the first trick that we, we use the teaching a smile as an example of how to teach people, how to, how to teach. I mean, we teach where we, People think we're teaching a horse a trick, but really we're teaching the people how to train. Okay. And the train is learning to recognize, learning to, learning to recognize the smallest approximation and re quickly and appropriately rewarding that approximation as you work towards the final trick. Okay. So that's the first trick in the book. And it wasn't until 2015, we already wrote the book, had it published. And in 2015, I had the opportunity to uh, raise an orphan foal, a complete orphan foal, a little colt. And uh, luckily, we had uh, uh, guys at Texas A&M built me a little refrigerator that I could put a gallon and a half of formula in it. And it had a timer and a pump and a little tube that I could run in a bucket in that little colt stall. So late at night, I could fill that bucket full of formula, turn the timer on. And it would feed him through the night. Every every 30 minutes, the pump would run for two minutes. He'd get a little bit of milk. Well, it would run out by, you know, five or six, five, four or five o'clock in the morning, something like that. He was out of milk. So when I, when I would come out in the barn, he was hungry. And he began to recognize that I was the guy that was feeding him. And what he would do, he would curl his lip up and roll his tongue in a little U-shape to make a gesture that, that, that would normally be given to his mother to tell him, hey, mom, I'm hungry. And that curling of the lip and that rolling of the tongue, what he was doing was he is making a pantomime action of a baby sucking on a tip, okay? And that's when, I, that's when it hit me, and I realized that that curling of the lip is a, it's imprinted in their DNA. 
you know, we weren't teaching the horse something that's outside of their realm. And it's actually, it's the first trick that a baby horse needs to know. First communication thing, baby horse needs to tell mom, Hey mom, I'm hungry. And I'll, he'll curl his lip. So when we put teaching horse how to make that same gesture as the first trick in a book seemed rather uh, a lucky accident, let's say. Okay. So uh, a lot of this stuff, see, if what we do looks like tricks on the outside, but really all it is, it's a different kind of foundation schooling. It's got some bells and whistles in it. You know, right. uh, horses are associative learners. And they can, you can, if you incorporate an action with an object, it can make sense to the horse. Okay. So the first, so I would recommend two, two things. The first thing is, uh, is in, incorporate a pedestal in your training and teach the horse to step up on a pedestal. And then you back up and move it and you teach the horse to remain on that pedestal. And what you're doing is you're giving that horse his own little piece of real estate something that most horses never have. They never have, they never own the ground that they stand on. Right. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, that's the basic premise of natural horsemanship. Absolutely. It all starts out like in a round pen who owns the ground that that horse stands on. And when you're going to do like what they call join up, you know, you, you sent, you teach the horse, I can, I can make you move and you're going to keep on moving. You're going to keep on moving until I allow you to have a little piece of ground to stand on. And uh, uh, so like teaching a horse to smile, see that it's stamped in their DNA, that, that business of keeping horse, making horses feet move uh, until you say it's okay to stop moving is stamped in their DNA. And when you incorporate an object with that action, a very specific object, now it can be just a rubber mat on the ground or it, uh, a pedestal makes it a little more obvious to the horse, you know, where do you want me to go? And, uh, you know, did your dad ever say to you, uh, when I say jump, you say how high? <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know what the next line is? What? Don't come down till I say so. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. I tell you to jump and say how high and don't come down till I say so. Yeah. Okay. That's the same, same thing with the horse, with horses and pedestals. When I say jump, when I say up, you're supposed to step up. Right. And stay there. So they and step up on the pedestal. Yeah. And a lot of people think that a pedestal is just like a photo opportunity, you know, something to take a pretty picture. No, there's a lot more to it than that. And right. once you teach a horse that he can step up, next thing you know, he wants to step up. We don't know why, but they, if you put a horse in a in a, a little ring with a pedestal pretty soon they're going to step up on it and and you look out and he's standing up there now do they gain do they like being taller maybe maybe uh, do they gain some kind of chiropractic benefit by shifting their weight to their hindquarters maybe we don't know uh but they like it and once they like it it becomes a self-rewarding behavior you know, the pedestal just becomes, hey, this is this is fun to do. This is something I like to do. I, I don't mind you asking me to go up there. But once the, the pedestal could be incorporated in a lot of other behaviors. Right. Uh, you can have them step up with two feet, step up with four feet, step up with two feet and walk their hind end around the pedestal, step up with all four feet and step their front feet off and walk their front end around the pedestal. 
Right. And what that does is it makes a horse very aware of what his what his hind feet are doing. You know, they're they're pretty good at paying attention to what their front feet do, but they don't pay much attention to where their hind feet are. Right. So we have a pedestals that are different designs. I've got one of my favorite, we call it an agility platform. It's built kind of like a wedding cake. It's got three three levels on it. Okay. And the horses learn to step up, step around, step off, step over, step up, step down. And it's just like being in a very tricky trail situation where you're on a mountain trail and there's Absolutely. ledges and the horse has to learn to pay attention to what, what all four feet are doing. That's awesome. So first That's trick, awesome. first trick, pedestals and then smiling i think is a is a good place to just great foundation especially to step up and step down for trail horses absolutely thank you for listening to the cowboy entrepreneur show scott will be right back with alan poe So welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show on KCAA, the NBC affiliate in California, and also watching our podcast on all of our different platforms. Thank you so much. And today we have master trick horse trainer, Alan Pogue. And, and Alan is telling us some great stories, giving us some education. Now we're going to talk a little business. So how did you come up with Imagine a Horse? That is such a great name. Well, you know, it, it stems from the idea of my mother really uh, – encouraged us to use our use our own uh, uh, use your own brain and, and think of things that you can do to entertain yourself use your own imagination right and uh, uh that probably got me in a lot of trouble you know because i'm one of those kind of guys that, i'm one of those kind of guys that would take apart the clock you know to see what was what you know why what, Absolutely. What, what, made those, what made those hands go around? But it was too little to be able to put it put it back together again. Uh, but if if uh, you know if you can imagine it, and it's within the, you know within the reasonable realm of horse behavior, if you can imagine it, and you have a you have a method that works, and you and you have a strategy uh, how to get there, you can get the horse to do just just about anything, you know, and. Uh, uh, so uh, imagine a horse sitting on a beanbag. Imagine a horse retrieving a frisbee. You know, uh, imagine a horse doing airs above the ground. I, I well, maybe we can incorporate a picture. I trained the Arabian stallion to perform like the Lipizzaners do. You know, something that's not something that's not normally done. Right. right. Uh, but that was that was. Um, I, I I don't know why it came to me. It, it just did, and it, it seems to work. It's a catchy little phrase, you know. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. I love it. I think, I think that's almost like we were talking at the beginning of the show where it's one little phrase, but it's going to mean more and more as they work with their horse, because if once they do that first trick or that horse saves them on that first, whatever it is, they're going to imagine that horse doing something else. And it's just going to keep coming back to them and, and reliving so, that. When I, when we used to perform at these horse expos, we do these little 45 minute demos, different areas of the fairgrounds. I used to always try to end each demonstration with the same line. And that was, you don't have to run away to join the circus with a little imagination and a willing horse or two, you can have one in your own backyard. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that, that's awesome. That, that imagine horse kind of, uh, it, I don't know if it sprung from that phrase or the phrase sprung from imagine a horse, but that's our basic philosophy we try to get across. I, I love it. And, and uh, I like the fact that they can have fun with their horse and kind of not show off, but have fun with their friends when they come over and show them a trick or two. But when they're on the trail or, or the horse needs a mental break from either rope in her barrels or whatever they're doing, they can go do these exercises and just kind of give the horse a vacation, so to speak. Um, well, uh, like a mental, a mental vacation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes it could be a very brief thing. Uh, uh, we have, we have a, a phrase, we call it default behaviors. You know, you have a horse that's acting up. You, if you have some, if you have some basic tricks on him, you can, if he's, you're asking him to do one thing and you're having a little issue with him, just pull back a step or two and, and do one of the, do, do a default behavior, something that you've taught him previously that he, that is just like ingrained in him that he did. He, uh, you know, you have a horse that's jigging on the trail. Okay. Turn him a little, put a little angle on him, ask him to do a shoulder in or a little right. bit of a side path something like that and it's that default behavior will give him oh that's all you want get him yeah. relaxed and then you go back and ask him to do something more difficult you set him up for success let him have that win absolutely i, I believe in 100 percent. so so i've been blessed to speak at texas a&m and do some things over there and i know you have for for a long time so what's your favorite story you know maybe from texas a&m or being on the road okay so uh Dr. Ted Friend was the animal behavior specialist. Uh, he taught animal behavior science for like 30 years over there. And he invited me, this would have been about in the, in the 90s, I think, uh, to bring my horses over there and give a demonstration to the students in their third year of study. It was a 300 level course. And it was an opportunity to show these kids real animal behavior training in, in a real-time situation and not just learning, learning out of a book, okay? Right. And the interesting thing was my horses always seemed to rise to the occasion and do something that I totally didn't expect them to do, but the kids could actually see that the, that the horse has got a mind that they're, that's actually working. You know, they're, they, they're not robots, okay? So right. one, of the, one of the best examples of that was in uh, the first of the, it usually was in April. Well, we about two weeks before the A&M gig, we were at the thing called Best Little Cowboy Gathering in Texas. And it's a kind of a small little event. We've done it several times and I was very comfortable there. And I usually would do a Liberty Act with three horses. So I thought, well, this year I'll, I'll do something a little different. I'll ride one horse and, and guide my other guys through their routine from horseback. And so I had two, two girl assistants. They led two horses in 
and turned them loose. And then I rode in, they shut the gate behind me and I turned to the audience and I said to them, you know, hi, I'm Alan Pogue from Deerpeen Springs, Texas, and I'm here to, the next thing you know, the crowd is all laughing, right? Well, I wouldn't have told any jokes yet, you know, so, but when the crowd is laughing, I know something's going on behind my back. Well, I, I turned around to look and my number one horse, he'd walked over to a beanbag and sat down and was rocking back and forth, scratching his butt. Okay. <laughs> so in our acts, you know, we, we never tried to, to be, to do a comedy act, right? Right. Uh, but sometimes the horses would ad lib and, and do something like that. Sure. So, uh, you know, I just, I just passed it on. Uh, but a lot of times people have asked me, and they're a little bit worried and they say, well, if I teach my horse to like to lay down or if I teach my horse to sit down on the beanbag, is he going to do it when I don't want him to? And I said, oh, no, no, no. I used to say, oh, no, no, it, it, it's, tr it's a trick. You have to cue them to do it. So don't worry about it. Well, after that day at, at the cowboy gathering, I had to change my story a little bit. So a couple of weeks later, I'm at Texas A&M. I'm in front of all the students. I got three horses loose in a ring. And uh, I turn to them and start start telling them that story. And everybody starts laughing, right? <laughs> so I turned around and looked. Gator had already sat down on the beanbag and Dose came over and he was trying to nudge Gator off that beanbag and get on it himself. So I got these two horses, like two little kids squabbling <laughs> over a toy. I've got, I've got two of them doing it. And so what, the, what they did was they showed these kids in real time because now i didn't cue them to do it at all you know they they showed these kids in real time that their that their mind was thinking and that they were uh perfectly happy doing doing these unusual behaviors completely on their own so that, that, that's the kind of stuff. yeah that's the kind of stuff that boy you sure wish you had a video camera you know, uh, absolutely absolutely so how did you pick a beanbag uh, I was driving down the street in South Austin one time. This little Ma and Pa furniture store had a stack of about 50 bean bags, every color on the, on the rainbow, all stacked up like a pyramid. And I thought, well, that's kind of fun. They were only 20 bucks or something like that. So I bought one and take it home. And But it was made for people. It was made out of vinyl. And uh, I had been teaching my horses how to lay down and stuff like that. And then a uh, in the process of teaching horses to lay down, usually they kind of go through a sit down. Um, uh, so you get them to kneel and then they drop their butt and, uh, and, and then, and then they lay down and they lay down from that position. But when the horses, if you get them halfway down, you, you teach a horse how to kneel and then you tap on his gasket area with a little whip, a uh, real soft little cushy whip, and and get them to drop their butt uh it's a it's a complete relaxation thing that they have to really relax so i just stuck a beanbag behind them one day just just to, just to see if it would work and, and of course it did and it didn't take very long before they tore up that beanbag so i got a hold of a beanbag manufacturer up in dallas and asked them to make me some out of real you know um the, the toughest material they had and we used those for a while and then i finally found a company that where i could buy small what's called cut yardage and uh, of a ballistic nylon and uh, normally they want to say a thousand yard roll what thousand yards that's a lot that's of, a lot that's of, a lot of that's a lot of material uh, but this, this company out in california will cut you uh, cut it to size and so we have them made for us and you you wouldn't believe how many we sell i mean it's 
Uh, we're the only people in the world that sell them, so I, maybe you would believe, right? It's monopoly. They, they That's got, awesome. They, yeah, they got kind of popular in these Mustang makeover competitions. Yes, they have. In, in, uh, in 2008, we met a gal named Cindy Branham at Expo in Missouri, and she bought a big bag and some whips. And when she performed that September with her horse, she had actually the very first horse in any of these Mustang competitions. Her, her horse jumped up in the back of a pickup truck, turned around, and sat down on the beanbag. Oh, my goodness. And ever, ever since then, we, we've sold quite a few to the people that are performing in those uh, Mustang makeover competitions. Makes sense. And, and, and your wife, Sue, is a trainer as well. Didn't she just train a horse for uh, Cheryl Crow? Well, she, she did. Uh, now, she was a great trainer uh, in her in her own right. Right. And as far as like uh, Western pleasure was her Arabian Western pleasure was her, awesome. her what she, what she liked to do the most, but it, which is a little bit different than quarter horse Western pleasure. You know, the Western pleasure in Arabian world, the horse is up more upright, and in a uh, you know they don't they don't drop their head down below their withers. It's more of an upright uh, kind of a posture, a uh, little you know a little more correct for, you know in some you know in some. Uh, people judgment right but she was really good at it and so she had a lot of uh, lots and lots of experience and uh, once once she started trick training horses uh, she realized how much fun it was you know uh, which is really the point we want to get across to people you know you don't you don't have to go to a horse show to have fun with your horse you know you can you can do it at home but she started uh, training horses and actually between the two of us, we had, I mean, I, I lost count how many horses, trick horses we've turned out, you know, 100, 150, maybe more. Wow. Uh, the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the most interesting aspects is, is training gypsy horses. You know, they, we got in on kind of the first wave of the gypsy horses being very, very popular breed. We had a friend there in Wimberley, Texas, that she was going to Ireland and paying like $50,000 for a gypsy horse and oh, wow. then importing, you know, the importing fees on top of that. And we probably trained 10 horses for her, but what we started finding out was, and this really surprised us. Um, we thought that the gypsy horse, because it's a small draft horse would be kind of dull and sort of slow and, you know, not too bright. Uh, complete opposite is true. They're, they're extremely human oriented and, uh, so easy to train. And Sue and I used to joke, we'd say, man, if the owners knew how easy these horses were to train, they wouldn't be sending them to us. You know? <laughs> uh, but what it was, they made us look real good. That's know, because awesome. They, because they're they're a, a, a nice, a really good-minded horse. Yeah. That's awesome. So entrepreneurs that are watching, husband and wife teams, what what's some advice or somebody wants to start out in this? Do y'all each work separate horses or do you kind of focus on one horse and get some ideas or how does that work? <laughs> well, it kind of depends on the dynamic between you and your wife. You know, Absolutely. there's a lot of, uh, there, there can be, you know, there can be a, well, Sue started getting into it, but we started going to these horse expos and I was the guy out there in the spotlight, you know, and they would, I, we, I would do a three horse circus style Liberty act usually opening the show you know they you had the you had the expo going on all day long and then right. about 7 30 about 7 30 or so they have an entertainment a cavalcade of professional horse acts well sue saw me out there being in the spotlight and she's got enough of an ego that she wanted to be out in the spotlight too and uh 
uh, it was very lucky that we got to train this horse for Cheryl Crow. She, uh, Cheryl appeared at the uh, Houston Rodeo in 2006. She was scheduled to appear as the entertainment after the rodeo. You know, that, that Houston Rodeo is a big, big they event. Do. Okay. And she had to cancel that year because she discovered that she had a medical issue that had to be dealt with. And she went out to California for treatment on it. While she was out there, she buys this black and white uh, uh, Tennessee walking horse. And uh, when she came home, she was she and Lance were just living five miles from us here in Drooping Springs. And I'm in my barn one day, you know, minding my own business. And Lance Armstrong comes walking in my barn, right? I didn't. I didn't even notice this gorgeous gal was next to him. <laughs> Not, but I didn't. He had his two little twin girls, and they were looking for some place to teach those girls uh, take riding lessons. Well, it ended up Sue and Cheryl really, really hit it off, and and uh, Cheryl had that had that horse, and she brought it over, and so Sue would spend a lot of time, you know, spent you know, I don't know, four or five months trick training it. Uh, when Cheryl ended up moving to Tennessee, she took Lady C, we called it, and a lot of other horses with her and uh, set up a really nice top-notch barn over there. And she would have Sue fly in once a month or so, spend about a week with her and uh, hobnobbing with the, you know, with the, uh, with the, with that crowd. Okay. Uh, but it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, a, a few years later, Cheryl realized that, that, uh, that really wasn't her forte of trick training horses and keeping it going. And, and we cooked up a deal where Cheryl donated that horse to a, a organization called friends of sound horses. It's called Fosh friends of sound horses and they're instrumental in trying to eliminate the practice of soaring these uh, Tennessee walking horses by putting chains around their ankles and big heavy shoes on them and wow. doing a thing called the big lick, big lick competition. So uh, Cheryl donated the horse to Fosh, got her, which is 501c3, got a nice tax write off. We got the horse to keep. And for several years, that horse was uh, the ambassador for Fox for Fosh. And Sue would, would be called on to travel to a Fosh event and, uh, pre and, and present the horse as an example of uh, humane training. Uh, and, you know, we wrote articles for the uh, Tweeba magazine. That's Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors magazine. And even though they, they promote the Big Lick competition, we never, of all the other magazines we wrote articles for, we got more response from uh, Tennessee walking horse owners uh, because they they just wanted to do something fun with their horse. They didn't want to show them. They didn't want to compete. But they right. just wanted to have fun, fun. And those Tennessee walking horses are some of the best-minded horses on the planet. They're awesome. And they, the way Sue describes that is, is when that breed was created, uh, it was back in the plantation days. And the... Uh, the owners of the plantation would ask their people at work for them. You know, they had guys that ran the stables to uh, train and break and, and train these horses for them. Well, you wouldn't want to be the guy that trained that was responsible for training a horse that when the master, when the owner put his wife on that horse or when he got on that horse, that the horse was 
uh, less than obedient, okay? So through selective breeding, they weeded out the bad characters, and we, we found the Tennessee walking horses to be some of the most people-oriented horses of, of all. I mean, they're just nice, nice horses. That's awesome. Which is why they put up with so much. I hate to. Uh, they put up with so much from the from in the modern show ring, you know, that right. they, that they shouldn't be asked to do, but it, it happens, you know. Right, right. So anyway, strong-minded horses. So, so I think education is so important. Just bringing people into the industry and keeping people interested in staying in the industry. And your DVDs are great. I've been on your website. And it's so educational. And I know you have an online university. I want to talk a little bit. I know we're getting close to time. A little bit about the online university, how people can maybe either come to you and train with you or get online and start studying with you. Well, uh, we when we first started appearing at the Horse Expos, it was very tail end of uh, VCR tapes. You know, people still had their beta, you know, beta maxes were gone. VCR tapes were popular, but they were starting to be ancient history. You know how technology keeps moving. So we got in on the early part of DVDs. And boy, we did really, you know, really did well for a number of years, sold a lot of DVDs. But that is their DVDs now are being sort of pushed aside. And if everybody wants to have downloadable stuff online uh, that they can look, they can take to the barn with them. And 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 do that read what you're going to ride. You know, take take the smartphone out or the little tablet out, and 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 see what it is they're going to do. So what we've done is take all of our uh, training information and break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces, so that if you don't have to sit down for for a, a full hour and 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 think so and think good. about it. You know, you get a little spot. So we're we're just weeks away actually from launching what we're going to call Imagine Horse University. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that are attempting to do this. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll just have to see how it goes. You know, we want to, we want to stay relevant. We want to, we don't, you know, theoretically, Sue and I have retired, uh, which is a I was hypothetical. Say, yeah, you're a busy retired uh, person. I don't know. Yeah, it's a very busy. I'm very, always doing something. <laughs> uh, so that Imagine Horse University will be online. And it'll probably be accessible through our imagineahorse.com uh, webpage. Awesome. Yeah, in a few in a few weeks. I just talked to the guy that's doing it for us. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Well, we're gonna put that at the back of the, the show. So if people that um, are watching the show or the DVD or they see the name come across the radio station, they'll see imagineahorse.com and they can go to the university and and sign up because it's wonderful information wonderful so so i guess the last question and this is a really important question so you're in beautiful pie town new mexico what is the best pie in pie town new mexico new mexico apple new mexico that's an apple pie it's okay. an apple pie that they put, they put some green chilies in there new mexico green chilies oh. and pinion nut and pinion nuts Okay. We're, we're surrounded in a pinion, pin, a pinion pine forest. And uh, this last year happened to be a bumper crop for the, for the pinion nuts. And uh, it's, the, uh, it's a staple food for the, for the Indians out here. They, they, in October, November, you see cars all up and down the highway, people stopping to get to pick the pinion nut pine, pick the pinion nuts up. So, Really? Green chilies, pinion nuts, and apples. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, that sounds like something you just got to try. Yeah. You got to try it. Yeah. You have to try it. Man, I, I appreciate you being on the show so much. And it's so educational. And I think it's so important for the industry, not just for trick training, for the whole industry to know some of these um, I hate to call them tricks because they're not. I mean, it's educational. It can save the person. It can save the horse or just kind of rejuvenate. And uh, it's so important what you're doing. I appreciate the university as well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me put a little side to that. When I first tried to learn this stuff, nobody would tell me anything. And I bought that book by Chuck Grant. But I ran across a couple of people that were trick trainers, and they would never tell me anything. They would let me watch. They would let me watch. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Smitty's Diesel Repair and Colton salutes healthcare providers, first responders,